just telling Miss Lopez that Professor Lopez for my podcast that I just, just clear Dean Dean of, of International Studies. Um, I just took a week off from podcasting very much needed and what better way to get back into it and disrupt that piece than to talk about the club k missile system which one of my listeners recommended to me after watching an episode with you on here a lecture that you had given in november 2017 i watched it a couple weeks ago and i've watched it about five times over the last 24 hours just to Get up you were a glutton for punishment, huh? I, apparently. Apparently. I was just like, that was enough peace. Now it's time to be terrified. With that, I will let you take it away because I just want to absorb everything you're going to say. Okay. So uh, the Club K system um, is essentially a shipping cargo container. Those boxes that you see on ships. Uh, they're intermodal, meaning they can be moved onto trains, they can be moved onto semi-tractor-trailer tra- trucks. Um, that is a brand name, which you can find online. It has a website um, f- made in Russia. This is a product made by Russia. Um, and the interior of these containers um, can be configured however the customer might like. Well, one of the ways that they are configured, and you can see this at the website, um, is to put four um, ballistic missiles inside, laying down flat, um, and then upon command, um, the lid can pop off, and the missiles then stand up and are ready to fire. Now, why this is important, why, why this matters is not just because those missiles warheads can contain uh, either biological or chemical or conventional nuclear or EMP, electromagnetic pulse weapon uh, warheads, um, but important also because of the following story. It has to do with a company called Gulf Tainer. Gulf Tainer is a uh, company that is jointly owned by the Emir of Sharjah. Sharjah is one of the United Arab Emirates, there are seven, um, jointly owned by him and by the Jafar family of Iraq. The Jafar family of Iraq uh, includes Dr. Dia, uh, Jafar Dia Jafar, who uh, was the uh, nuclear mastermind um, for Saddam Hussein. Uh, So the company is jointly owned by these two, and uh, it provides port uh, management facilities, uh, port facilities management, maybe I should say, um, to to places around the world. Hmm. Um, What happened back in 2014 is that Gulf Tainer obtained a 35-year lease to manage the port container facilities at Port Canaveral, Florida. Now, if uh, your viewers, listeners, think about uh, the geography of the Atlantic coast, that is the east coast of Florida, the peninsula of Florida, um, Port Canaveral is smack dab in the middle of all kinds of military bases, 
uh, naval sites. Uh, of course, the um, the uh, the Kennedy Space Launch Center, uh, etc. Very sensitive sites up and down that coastline. That's where Port Canaveral is, and that's where Gulftainer obtained this 35-year lease to manage the container facilities at that port. Now, what that means is that Gulftainer can bring in, uh, can allow in, can can manage the flow in of um, these cargo containers coming off of ships, of which there are uh, the containers, millions upon millions uh, around the world every single day, but manage the, the flow, the intake of such containers into that port from which they can be loaded onto trains or trucks and taken inland throughout the United States, wherever. We have no idea since 2014, here we are talking in March of 2021, no idea uh, if any Club K container uh, containers have, have come in through that port. We, we just simply have no idea. Um, in the meantime, Gulf Tainer also obtained, uh, I think it's a 50-year lease on the entire port, not just container facilities, but the entire port of Wilmington, Delaware, another Jesus very key Christ. East Coast port uh, up in Delaware. Now, um, the United States has a, a, a means of evaluating and um, uh, doing a security check on any kind of foreign investment in the United States, be it a port or land or some kind of building, whatever it may be, um, there, there is a mechanism uh, in the United States government for evaluating uh, the security aspects of such proposed deal, be it a buy, be it a lease, um, and it's called CFIUS, that's an acronym for short, um, which is the Committee for Foreign Investment in the United States. And it's, um, it's kind of a pickup team. Uh, meaning that for each proposed deal, whatever that may be, the appropriate representatives come from the cabinet departments that would be involved. So that might include Department of Commerce, maybe Department of Transportation, um, the State Department, uh, Department of Defense, and intelligence community, uh, as would be warranted for each each case proposed. Well, so you may ask, uh, where's the security review um, that was done by CFIUS uh, for this Port Canaveral and, and, and the Port of Wilmington, Delaware, uh, for these deals? Yes, uh, crickets. Um, there was no security review done for either one of them. Uh, in 2014, of course, we were in the midst of the Obama-Biden administration, um, and um, they simply did not make this a priority, and there was simply no security uh, review completed. For the Port of Wilmington, Delaware, which was a couple of years ago, I think that was around 2019, if I remember correctly, uh, to the best of my knowledge, neither was there any kind of CFIUS national security review. That was just kind of, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the, the Emir of Sharjah, Saddam Hussein's bomb maker, plus 
you know, Russian club K missile cars. Do, does anybody see a problem with this? So that's where we are today, although I will give you one short update, and that is that it seems uh, down at the port of Port Canaveral, Florida, uh, there is um, some dissatisfaction with the way that Gulf Tainer has been managing uh, its, its uh, lease with the container facilities there, apparently not living up to some of the financial and perhaps employment um, provisions of the deal. Um, these these are things that uh, are are still uh, being looked at. Apparently, I, I've just heard about them. I'm you know these are allegations at the moment, um, but that they are not fulfilling. In other words, their 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 end of that deal. So stay tuned to Port Canaveral. We shall see. So all of that terrifying, and there goes a week of of taking a break right out the window, just mainlining terror into my carotid artery. But so I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about it a lot since um, my friend first introduced me to it, your lecture. And the only conclusion that, again, my uneducated 30-year-old mind with a biology degree, just no, no interaction with national security or military or anything. That being said, the only... The only tactical explanation that my mind can rationalize without imploding into a black hole of anxiety is that this is simply the newest face of mutually assured destruction. And if Russia or China or Saudi Arabia have Club K missile systems topped with chemical, biological, EMP, or conventional nuclear um, warheads in their nose cones, four per four excuse me, one nose cone per cruise missile, four cruise missiles per container, and they're in our ports. This is just Cuban Missile Crisis all over again. Well, except that we don't know. I mean, we simply have no way of knowing if or when any such containers ever entered uh, one of our ports. We do not know. Well, well, and that's, that's the conclusion I've drawn, is we don't know, and they don't know. Who, who says that we didn't you know, who says that we didn't buy a company in Saudi Arabia and then through proxy purchase these and they're in Saudi Arabia and Russia. And basically it's the same thing as warheads all over again. We all just have pistols to each other's heads. That's the only conclusion I can come to is that we've bought a bunch of these systems too and we've put them all over Europe. Well, we don't know that. I mean, exactly, that, that, exactly. That, that's, that's speculation. Yeah. We, we have no idea. Yeah. Um, the Club K car certainly, um, as per its own website is marketed uh, to countries all over the world, mm-hmm. to to um, buyers all over the world. Um, you know, but who else may have bought these systems? We don't know. We also don't know, or at least I don't know, um, if such a Club K car, let's say containing missiles, were to have entered a U.S. port during one of the last six or seven years or so, um, and then had been transported someplace to the interior of the United States, what kind of um, maintenance Mm -hmm. would have to be done on those missiles, their warheads, their firing systems, uh, to keep them at least potentially operational. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if they can just sit around for six years plus and then still be activated. 
Yeah. Um, without any maintenance. Yeah. And if there were to have been maintenance, who would have done that? Mm-hmm. Who would have performed that? These are questions I just don't know the answers to. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously everything I said is, again, speculation. That's the only thing I can conclude is if they have it, let's, you know, again, mutually assured destruction. We can't stop them. All right. Well, let's build 70,000 and point them at them, too. It's the whole no one's getting out of this alive. One thing I've been thinking, though, is with nuclear weapons, man, sure, it would be, again, great. I'm saying that as the, you know, the evil enemy with the mustache. Sure, it would be great to have the missile that you could launch at New York or Chicago or D.C., just wave to the NSA. But why even launch them? Why not just get them as close as you can? And then if if the warheads are on the nose cones and they're in the shipping container and you see shipping containers on the highway, why not just drive one of those in a downtown? Why launch it? Why not just detonate the warhead? That's one one thing I've been thinking is like, why even worry about a missile? Just put it in the, just launch it within the container. Well, I mean, there are all sorts of scenarios that we can think of um, that are alarming. Um, the bottom line is we, we don't know if any of this has actually happened. My, my primary concern really is the state of CFIUS, mm-hmm. this this um, this team uh, that is supposed to review um, foreign purchases, leases, um, entry into U.S. market, whatever, uh, and and why it seems to be so dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's been some attention paid to it in intervening years, um, the Trump years, Trump presidency years, uh, but I don't know um, that even then it it, it was completely fixed, if you will. Um, And certainly now under under the new team at the White House, um, you know, nothing is going to happen uh, to beef it up, to to, um, uh, review it, overhaul it. Um, and especially as regards uh, any kind of containers that might be coming from, you know, preferred allies, partners, and friends like the Communist Party of China. Yeah, I was going to say. So, again, it seems like the most tactical move would be to just infiltrate CFIUS. Why even worry about anything else? If you can just get, if you can get your man in that, then you can start looking the other way. You know, it's work smarter, not harder. Who's to say it hasn't been infiltrated? Well, I mean, it's not necessarily um, that you would need somebody inside of CFIUS, but that there would be an executive branch alert yes. that a CFIUS meeting ought to be convened and that a national security review ought to be undertaken as regards uh, some kind of uh, potential acquisition, a purchase or a lease again. And we know, for example, that Gulf Tainer uh, is looking at other ports around the United States with a view to obtaining contracts at those places like Galveston, um, Texas, mm-hmm. like uh, perhaps out in California along the West Coast. Um, so, so my question uh, and concern is really about CFIUS, um, but, but more to the point is the administration any administration and our members of Congress to whom, for example, 
uh, we tried very hard uh, to bring this to their attention at the time. Are they alert to uh, these concerns and threats? And the answer at the moment would seem to be no, not much. Can you go into, for all the listeners, can you go into the um, the, the importance and, and danger of, because you know, we always hear about, right, ABC, atomic, biological, and chemical weapons, but one that doesn't get a lot of attention is EMP, and it seems that that's almost, I would say, behind nuclear, well, in, I guess in conjunction with nuclear, it seems to be the most insidious thing, and that more than anything, again, is if you get that into a Club K, which they are capable of, that can bring the United States or any country to its knees with far more efficacy than, let's say, nuclear weapons. Could you explain to my sure. listeners just the, what the dangers of that are? Well, EMP stands for electromagnetic pulse, and it's a phenomenon that the United States government became acutely aware of uh, after some nuclear tests conducted out in the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. uh, way out in 1962, the the exercise was called Starfish Prime. Um, yeah. This is something openly available on the internet. Now you can read about it if you would like. Um, and that uh, nuclear detonation out there in the Pacific, um, most unexpectedly, because they, they weren't aware of the phenomenon um, prior to that test, Uh, took down uh, electric grid uh, and systems in some nearby uh, islands and atolls. And uh, from that point, they realized, oh, it's not just the nuclear explosion itself and its kinetic destructive power, which is what they were testing, uh, but it's this side effect of the electromagnetic pulse that a nuclear explosion gives off. So... Uh, If such a nuclear warhead were to be exploded in the high atmosphere, let's say 50 to 300 kilometers up, um, and if that were to happen on Earth underneath that explosion, there would not be deaths immediately or destruction of buildings and property and so forth. And people on Earth might not even realize what happened, but what would happen, or could happen anyway, is that a supercharged flow of ions um, coursing down from that nuclear explosion uh, could so smash into um, the magnetic field uh, around the Earth that protects it from just such Uh, ionic flows, let's say we'll talk about this in a moment from the sun, but smash into it with such force that you don't just get pretty northern lights, which is a phenomenon um, from the sun, uh, discharging such uh, an electron electron flow, uh, but but, but so so destructive, so powerful um, that it actually hits Uh, electric grid systems on Earth. Um, The first example of this happening um, was indeed uh, a a solar event in 1859, come to be known as the Carrington event, named after the British scientist who investigated it and figured out what that was, pre-electric grid, obviously, in America. 
or anywhere. Um, but we had telegraph systems and um, there also was um, a lot of damage done uh, on earth to uh, our telegraph systems. Some telegraph poles, for example, just burst into flames because the sun emitted a coronal mass ejection, which is uh, basically just a, a very powerful solar flare. Now, Carrington, the British scientist, not only understood and and uh, wrote about what he learned, what he realized from that solar event, um, but he also predicted, or at least hypothesized, um, that, that these kinds of very powerful solar events happen on a, secular, a cyclical basis. Uh, and that means he thought about every 150 years. Now, I'm not sure if he got that exactly right, but you can do the math from 1859 to the current day. Again, oh, no. this is March 2021. Um, and if he were right, uh, we're well within the window for such another solar event of that magnitude. Now, we're not able to control uh, what the sun does. Uh, no more can we control its solar flares than we can control uh, its sunspots, for example, which, by the way, control all weather on Earth. I'm sorry, no, it's, it's, it's not cows doing what cows do out in the field. It's, it's the sun. Um, so we can't control that. Um, so if, if, if we were to have an electromagnetic pulse event either from the sun or from a hostile adversary, let's say China, let's say North Korea, let's say Iran, um, the one thing that we can do to protect ourselves against either one of those kinds of events is harden our civilian electric grid. One would have thought this was a duh, um, uh, you know, response, yeah. but no, but no, um, good friend. And, and the one who's taught me just about everything I know about these kinds of, uh, threats is Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. And Peter has been speaking, I mean, just everywhere, um, that he can, uh, he heads up something called an EMP commission. At one point, this was a congressional task force. I'm making a note um, yeah, Electromagnetic Pulse EMP Commission, uh, of which I'm a member, and, and so are many people around the United States. Um, but, but you know, what, what he talks about is that hardening our civilian electric grid just would not be all that expensive in, in the scheme of things, in, in, in the scale of things, right? When our Congress is just now tossing about a $1.9 trillion uh, dollar, uh, you know, pork bill, Democrat pork bill, um, which our children and grandchildren and yours too will be paying for someday. Um, that, by comparison to what it would take to harden our civilian electric grid, is is all out of proportion. In other words, a few billion. Now, yes, that's a lot of money for you and me. Mm -hmm. um, but but in terms of, of, of the U.S. government, you know, national budget, uh, several billion to harden the civilian grid, you know, against the catastrophic uh, life ending consequences of not doing it. 
seem like a pretty, well, why hasn't it been done yet kind of a thing? Well, the why hasn't it been done yet kind of thing has to do with the power and utilities companies in this country and how they support financially um, some of our congressional members in key spots that uh, do not want this to come uh, to legislation that would mandate uh, and authorize, uh, mandate a hardening of, of the grid and then authorize, appropriate the funds for it. Uh, Peter Pry has, has worked out that if we were to spend the few billion dollars that it would take um, to provide at least basic, mm-hmm. maybe not Cadillac, but basic coverage, basic securing of our grid, um, it would work out, even if the power and utilities companies, as they would, pass that cost along down to the consumer, the customer, that's us, it would amount to less than one dollar per consumer on an annual basis. Now juxtapose that against the catastrophic damage that an EMP event, either sun or enemy nation uh, would, would, would launch at us. And, you know, here we are. It, yeah, it it makes too much sense to do, right? It's a, you know, it's, it's way too logical, but it, yeah. But is there, because it is relatively inexpensive it's some sort of like copper almost like not netting but like a screen door if you will like that's what's that's what the e4b night watch doomsday plane is wrapped in as well, well as i mean it, it has to do with with protecting um our power substations mm-hmm. which are above ground mm-hmm. it has to do with protecting uh cabling uh, underground it has to do also with some cyber measures because cyber um, is another avenue by which our grid can be attacked and has been. Um, so it, it's it's all of those things: the above ground substations, transformers, the below ground um, uh, cabling, uh, and then and then cyber measures uh, as well. But but all of that, all of that taken together just absolutely pales to minuscule proportions next to this 1.9 trillion barrel of pork that the Congress just passed. And for what? What did they pass in there? Uh, Billions for the National Endowment for the Arts, National Endowment for Humanity, um, you know, freebies uh, to illegal aliens. Yeah, 25%. As juxtaposed against securing the civilian electric grid so that as Peter Pry points out, uh, nine out of ten Americans don't die in the first twelve months after an EMP or a sun event uh, would hit the United States with our grid unprotected right now. The only, the only thing I can think of, you know, thinking of this as you were talking, is that it seems to be a parallel to the, I can never remember the name of this was it civil civil defense authority civilian it was the one in the 50s and 60s civil defense this was for like massive evac- Maybe are you thinking of like the Tennessee Valley Authority project and that sort of thing no 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 there was an actual I can't I don't remember if it was an agency but it was it's the one that like taught duck and cover they had like the shelters and everything yeah, oh, civil defense yes, yeah, civilian yeah, defense yeah. whatever it was mm-hmm. it's almost like how on the front we had that, but in a 
my, one of my favorite books of all time, Raven Rock by Garrett Graff. And I've, I've had that author on this podcast. It's all about the development of nuclear bunkers, the relocation arc and everything from from Truman to uh, through, I believe, Obama. But what he draws is is this realization that the amount of money in this doesn't apply to EMP, but just bear with me. It's a stretch. Is the realization that, like, I think what Eisenhower said in confidence is that, like, no civilian will survive. Like, they have, you know, we have all these plans. The Postal Service will act as a coroner. Like, they'll deliver shots and stuff and all that good stuff. But the reality is, is you have this swath of bunkers that are EMP, biological, chemical, nuclear protected. They're hardened. They have um, buttoned up, you know, air or air cycling and cleaning systems. They have all their food supply and everything. But that's for like the president, his cabinet, the secretaries in Congress, and if there's any heads of industry that can afford it. But everyone else, it's kind of like a, it's like a formal measure. It's like a, hey, look, you know, if there's a, if there's a nuke going to go off, go to your local shelter where, where they have canned tomatoes, and I think they wanted people to live on 400 calories a day or something. It was like hard candy and like wheat cracker. It's terrifying. The reality is, is, is everyone that didn't have access to one of these hyper elite bunkers were going to die. But there was a nice kind of uh, we put makeup on the pig. The only thing I can think of is with EMP protection, relatively affordable as, as it may seem, is that all of these strategic bunkers they're nice and shielded against it so anything for us it's it's just kind of like uh they're dead they're dead and i'm not justifying it i'm not defending it that's the only logical conclusion i can think of is oh they are protected they not you and i that's the only well, thing or I can we think can of. just harden the grid and um, that's too simple claire that makes too much know, sense just harden the grid yeah. And I mean, here's the other thing. Um, I was I was speaking on another uh, radio show recently uh, this morning, actually. And um, we, we were talking about the two North Korean satellites uh, that have been orbiting uh, on a polar trajectory, not east, west, but north, south polar trajectory over the Western Hemisphere since uh, 2012 and 2014, respectively. And again, uh, back to good friend and mentor, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, uh, we don't, or at least we civilians, uh, you know, unclassified, do not know what's in those satellites, what kind of payload they're carrying. Uh, but Dr. Pry does say that uh, they are of a size and an altitude and an attitude uh, that could um, at least conceivably carry an EMP payload. Um, and the fact that they're on a polar trajectory, meaning they're coming up at the Western Hemisphere in the United States each day, a couple of times a day, um, means that North Korea, and I mean, this is open source, the entire world, knows that the United States has no land-based uh, ballistic missile radar warning or defense systems along the Gulf Coast or the Atlantic Coast. None. All of our missile and radar defenses are aimed west and north because that's the direction mm -hmm. in which lie China, North Korea, Russia. Mm -hmm. But what if they came up at us out of the south as these two 
satellites do right now, knowing there's no defense along the Gulf Coast or the Atlantic Coast. I mean, these are things that are that are knowable and fixable, uh, and yet we're just not doing it. Again, the only like, this is again one hundred percent speculation on my part is the only reason I can imagine why. You know, obviously, we don't know if they're there or not, if they've been infiltrated. But the only reason I can think of why Club K missile systems haven't, you know, taken out bases and cities in America, why these North Korean, let's say they're EMPs or something, let's say that's what these satellites are, whatever they are, um, are orbiting overhead. The reason why none of this stuff is, has come to fruition and has been used, knock on wood, is that there has to be an equal or greater threat looming over other nations. And as as I, I put forward earlier, the idea that maybe we have Club K missile systems in all these nations with the guns to their heads. Uh, probably not. Probably not, but I'll, I'll just, just... I a bit perish that thought. Okay, okay, no. okay. So let's, well, so let's look at... So, but what is so? Let's look at the club game missile system, though, right? It's not the it's not the big scary nukes on on Cuba. It's right. It's blended into these everyday things that kind of you don't think of, right? It's that's not a missile. That's a that's going to Costco, whatever. I think about other things that we just kind of accept that are up there. For instance, Elon Musk's Starlink. We know he works with the National Reconnaissance Office and the yeah you have NRO, the National Geospatial Agencies. We have those up there orbiting. Who's to say that those don't have a backdoor? What is it? What could it be? I don't know. Is it, is it conspiratorial speculation? Absolutely. Tinfoil hat on. But that just kind of, to me, it parallels Club K in terms well, no, of. No, but I mean, hidden. you see, you're talking about us civilians, right? And what we know or don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but there are. Uh, agencies and organizations of the United States government, the Department of Defense and and others, whose responsibility it is to know about these things and to protect us from them. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they know, what they don't know, what they have prepared for in in every respect. But that's their job. It's not our job. Mm -hmm. We, 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 We learn about some of this stuff as civilians uh, in the open source world, but that's their job in in the highly classified world. Um, And of course, we all hope that they're doing their job, but every now and then there's something like Port Canaveral and Gulf Tainer that make us wonder. Now, here's here's another thought. And um, yeah, this this was not going to be... um, you know, a happy, happy, joy, joy kind of a, a, a podcast today. Know, anyway, so um, I'll just add to it, um, <laughs> and 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 this may be something for more discussion another another uh, podcast. But um, another reason why our adversaries who who have a deliverable nuclear capability um, have not used it, are not using it, could be because. To do so would leave a lot of radioactive mess strewn about the landscape in America were they to do that. Now, if they wanted to take advantage Mm -hmm. of our uh, wealth, our natural resources, our land, our whatever, 
that's probably not going to be conducive to that objective. So what if instead, let's, let's just say it's China and the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, it decides that launching a biological weapon at the United States population that would take out large numbers of our population without contaminating the land mm-hmm. were a more um, would, would, would be an attack more um, you know in, in in keeping with their ultimate objectives which could have to do with occupying uh, U.S. territory. What if? Question mark. Another podcast. Another pod. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, well, that will be another podcast. But that's one thing I've I've thought and I've said since really last February. I was well. I've always said this, you know. It, you know, when my liberal friends would be like, "Why do you even need guns? The government has nuclear weapons." And it's like because no one wants to rule over an irradiated wasteland. If 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 nuclear weapons didn't have radiation, we probably would have used them a lot more. But there's no point in nuking the Middle East. You can't get the oil out. There's going to be strontium and iridium and, and all that good, not good stuff there. So, yeah, you would never do – again, you want to take out pests in your house. You don't nuke your house. You don't burn it down with a flamethrower. You fumigate it and you leave for the weekend and then you come back and you just, then you got to like sweep out all the you know the dead bugs. But that's all it is. You just remove the biological aspect of the physical, concrete, metallic infrastructure and underground wealth, be it – minerals or oil and and there actually are chinese leadership figures who have spoken about this maybe not openly but but their their uh their speeches have become known um i will refer your your uh, listeners watchers um to the the blog of jeffrey nyquist n-y-q-u-i-s-t jeffrey nyquist he has a blog and look back to, uh, I think it's last fall, around um, maybe September, October time frame. Uh, he posted a blog there, uh, which discussed the, until then, secret speech of Chi Haoxian. Chi Haoxian was a senior ranking member of the Chinese Ministry of Defense. He's now deceased. But he was speaking back around 2002, 2003, perhaps, in this speech that Jeff talks about. And in the speech, which I I don't have in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase, but um, he openly discusses the use of biological weapons against the American population to depopulate this country uh, preparatory to... Um, a land grab by China. Now, China at the moment has around 1.4 billion people in population, but its population is headed off a cliff in coming decades because of the one-child policy for so long uh, and the abortion and infanticide of so many uh, female babies. Now, I don't know how long uh, that fall off the cliff is going to take. But in the meantime, uh, there's a lot of people to feed uh, in in China and a lot of uh, very frustrated young men who are never going to find a wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other aspect to this, people don't realize that as humongous as, as China is in landmass, 
a great deal of its land is not really arable. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not good for growing crops, which is why one of the reasons why they have to buy so much of their food needs from elsewhere wheat from the united from the united states from australia soybeans from the united states etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, something that president trump was uh, pursuing for the benefit of our farmers and, and and their sales of crops um but the point here being uh that they cannot grow at least for the time being enough food on their own for their own population uh now add to that And I've been thinking about this. Um, The fact that we are in something called a solar minimum. Mm -hmm. Remember the sunspots again? Mm -hmm. Um, This is a period of time, and it's it's cyclical again over the centuries, when uh, the sun simply, for whatever reason, has fewer sunspots, many fewer sunspots. And because those sunspots totally determine whether on Earth... um, the, the, The lower number of them, or absence of sunspots... Uh, translates into um, colder weather on Earth. Without going into a huge amount of detail, but you can you can go to the NOAA website and look this up and other places. Translates into lower temperatures uh, across the globe. Mm-hmm. Again, over a period of many decades. Um, the last mini ice age, for example, was back around the 1600s, I think, to the 1800s or so. Remember Napoleon's um, retreat from Moscow, that yeah. sort of thing. Well, that was a dumb idea anyway, but you get the idea. Yeah. So um, what if plunging uh, temperatures, or at least decreasing temperatures, let's put it that way, um which will affect China and other northern latitude countries in coming decades, if that affects Chinese ability, uh, even such as it is, to to grow their own food, affects it even more drastically uh, in these coming decades before the population decreases down to where it's going to be at the end of the 21st century, what's China going to do? Is she Haoxian? Uh, talking about uh, that sort of projection, uh, that they're going to need access to other arable agricultural land, like the not United their States. own, because their own isn't going to sustain them? Question mark. Question mark. Another podcast. Another podcast. Well, I'm nice and terrified and works better than a cup of coffee. That's why you invite me on, That's right? Why I invite why you on. watch horror movies at Halloween, why, right? Why do that when I can have on Claire? And then after the podcast, I just sit here for 20 minutes going, okay, <laughs> you know. But, again, hey, yep, no one's making me do it. I do it. I, you know, it's, like I said, I am I am nauseatingly, uh, nauseatingly optimistic. And uh, I like having you on because it cuts me down a size. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, no, everything's terrible. But, you know. You have this nice placid pond out back um with 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 you know a bench by the side right yeah yeah and and you're and you're a cinder block from you're a cinder block from a 747 which comes in at terminal velocity you've never been described that way before it's pretty (laughs) awful no it's beautiful you come in and you make as so much as okay no now i'm the bad guy (laughs) no it right you want to bring you want to bring attention to it that's what you do 
it's a placid pond outside of the bench and we're all sitting around just going nothing's wrong and you're like no there's a club game missile system there's a food problem and everyone's like i don't want to hear it so you're like all right well they're not listening to me i'm going to drop a cinder block from a 747 and i'm going to wake them all up i i say that as the biggest compliment possible well, we do want people to take an alert from this. Yes. That That is the point. But it is. You, you um, talked about that. Those on the who can do something about it, yeah. take an alert from this and get busy. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the reason why, again, in all seriousness, I do say that as a compliment is because in the lecture you gave in November 2017, I think you said, you said, send this to all of your elected officials. I believe you said email, text, whatever you use, mm-hmm. send it. It's 94 pages. They don't even need to read all of it. And you said there are nice graphs and charts that they can look at. If they don't want to read it, there's colorful colorful charts and everything. You explained all that. So I'm coming from there. You saying, you know, what did, what did the guy say? If Trump had your ear and you said, you mean if I had his ear? It's I did listen to it five times in the last 24 hours. You said, I wish I did because I would bring this to his attention. So I do say that as a compliment, you're dropping a cinder block from a 747. Bring attention to it. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me once again. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's- Amazing you bring me back week after week. But, I, um, I'm going to continue having you back on until you, until you tell me. I look forward to that. I'm going to keep having you back on until you tell me to just stop contacting you, and at which point I'll say, okay. Well, as but, long as your listeners and your viewers are good with it, I'll be back. Well, it's a, it's a monarchy. This isn't a, this isn't a republic. They don't get a say in it. I am the king, and I like having you on, so I'm going to keep having you on. Miss Claire Lopez. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will text you when this link is up. And I look forward to seeing you on Don the Plug next week. I will send it all around to my contacts. Yes. All right. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. All right. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. All the best. Take care. Thank you very much. You as well. Goodbye.